All right, hello to the Rock Hard Caucus Patreon subscribers. We're back with episode two, discussing Willie Wilden as uh, the first installment in the Dobrain Book Club. Possibly the first and only. I don't know if I'm going to do another one of these. <laughs> uh, it took me long enough to get to the second episode. <laughs> uh, I'm joined today by Chuck Yonda. Yeah, hi. Uh, I was wondering when I was like looking at the, the Patreon if this was the first time I was on it, but I didn't know we had the Christmas episode on there too. Yeah, you were on the Christmas episode. I was yeah. on the Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is this is the first uh, really, really exclusive content that you get to enjoy featuring myself. Oh yeah. Chuck just actually listened to the first episode, so uh, the first part of the book is really fresh in his mind. Uh, did you have anything that you wanted to uh, to comment on? from that first episode before uh, <laughs> we get rolling <laughs> i mean there's there's plenty of things of course uh just f- the first and foremost listening to him do the reading was like it, it was better than i could have imagined uh when i was uh <laughs> like picturing this book uh and just listening to him uh read he almost sounds like he's annoyed by his own book <laughs> uh, like I think that like the pace and like the tone at which he reads it, uh, you know, it's 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 very obviously about him, as you guys stated many times on here. Um, yeah, he's clearly like extremely sexually frustrated throughout. Um, I I thought it was funny how he's unable to like see or think about a woman without deciding immediately mm-hmm. if he'd want to have sex with her or not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, which he reveals that pretty early uh, when he talks about getting stood up on the date at the bar right away, I, mm-hmm. I think is. Yeah, he had, he had the fight with the lady about smoking in the bar. He goes yeah. off on that, like, shitbag libertarian rant about fucking personal freedoms or whatever. Yes. Uh, what, is, what did he call her? Was it a hose bag? <laughs> Um, what was it? I, I believe, well, that was for the woman who stood that him up. The, I believe it was up, yeah. hose beast. Something like that. Host, Host beast. beast. Is that what it was? It was something like that. But it, like I was saying, I think that uh, he he sort of tells it himself immediately by saying, "Oh, this this date was not going to end at my apartment, so like, why bother?" Uh, you know, I think right. that he. Oh, it was ha- it was hose bag. Hose bag. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I think that he has a lot to learn about himself by reading this. Um, <laughs> maybe why he has such a fractured relationship and uh, just such a terrible just you know pre-incel like prototype incel view of women and like what he feels like he deserves to be treated like and you know wondering why things you know you know don't work out for him in his you know actual personal life i'm sure just because of these attitudes that he has and i think you can learn a lot by reading this book uh joseph if you're listening to this i recommend reading willie wilden uh i think (laughs) i think that you can learn a lot about how not to behave, um, yep. maybe why you've had problems your whole life with women very clearly, uh, how you're just like this Holden Caulfield-like character that's festered into your 30s, 40s, and probably your early 50s. Uh, just, I don't know. I'm enjoying it so far. I can't wait to hear what happens next. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I I do really enjoy, I did really enjoy um, Charlotte uh, Fanshawe, was it? Yeah. She's the local, yep. yeah. So like how she's writing a book within his fictional book uh, as like his mirror image uh, and, you know, touchy on like the relationship with an older man. Uh, You know, he starts talking about the fucking power dynamics between himself and his students and how he's horny for most of the women in his class at the 
fucking college he teaches at. Yeah, I, I can't imagine this book becoming less of a train wreck uh, <laughs> as we continue here. Um, I love the description of himself. Uh, if you guys have seen the, God, those videos that we were watching, um, mm-hmm. what was the show called? It was like the Polar Hard Carson Fire. show. Hard Fire. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it, uh, he describes himself as uh, what I have here as being tall, uh, 42, but younger looking, wears a suit, mm-hmm. uh, has uh, a large, pale, uh, smooth face with <laughs> a narrow, lipless mouth. Uh, <laughs> and he has his hair slicked back like Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. And if you look at him on that fucking show, he is describing himself to a fucking T. That yep. is exactly what he looks like, except for the part about looking younger. <laughs> but like, right. I, I just... I, I can't, I don't, I, you know, Evan brought up something uh, during the last episode where he said he's either knows and is very obviously writing this book about himself or he's like so like savant like that he, he's he's creating the story without realizing it's him. Uh, and I really wonder if uh, if that's the case, but. Like I said, I, I, I hope there's a happy ending for this guy. I can't wait to hear what happens next. And I, I, I also wonder uh, how much money you've spent having to renew this book from the library uh, <laughs> since last episode. Yeah, I uh, I checked it out, I think, like the end of December. <laughs> and yeah, I, the first episode's a while ago. Yeah, yeah I, I renewed it twice. I just actually returned it today, and then I'm going to go back tomorrow and pick it up again because I ran out of renewals. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll still be there waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it'll be fine. I don't think there's a lot of people waiting in line for that one. Do they just have one copy of it at the library? or? Yeah. There's just oh, one. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so I am covering pages 55 to 106 today. Okay. And before... We've got three sections here. And before I start summarizing this, I do want to read another Amazon review of this book. Okay. Do you think this one's actually for real? The last one sounded like it was uh, maybe a plant, you know? Well, uh, I'm not sure. This is from Diana. She gave it five stars. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) it says, the headline of her review is, Hugely Enjoyable. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sounds legit so far. uh, She posted this November 30th, 2011, so I think Uh, shortly after the publishing date. Yeah. I could see women enjoying this book a lot so far, just based (laughs) off what we've read, but yeah. And Diana writes, Some people find Roger Ballou to be (laughs) old-fashioned, opinionated, and irritating. He is also smart, funny, and completely honorable. (laughs) There's... uh, Is there... Sorry, go ahead. There's there's there's, more, go. Oh, quite a bit more. Um, (laughs) The diverse group of people he finds himself among after accepting a new teaching position, seem real in their reactions to life (laughs) and to each other. Another novel following their lives and adventures would be most welcome. (laughs) The hullabaloo over the school mascot was familiar to me, as I remember a similar conflict with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tomahawk Chop, in parentheses, my hometown. A first-rate first novel. I don't think that is real. I don't think that's any more real than the last one. Yeah, I think I would lean towards fake as well. I just I don't buy it, dude. I don't I don't buy it's hard for me to imagine 
the, the the attitude with which he's written this book and like the 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 voice that he's given to the narrator uh which is his own can have like any appeal to anybody who's not exactly like him you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah it's a very uh libertarian kind of online guy mindset yeah like pre online for sure mhm uh i just i don't see this book having a whole lot of appeal outside of like him reading it after like him be able to like pick it up like a physical copy of it open it up and be like i'm reading my book this is fantastic <laughs> yeah uh diana i think is either fake or maybe a personal friend of his i don't know i didn't consider that that's true but i doubt that because i i doubt this man has any friends that are women because he is completely unable to like <laughs> look at women without thinking of fucking them so you know i don't think that the, i really don't think joseph dobrin is capable of having like you know a platonic friendship with a woman i really don't yeah i mean i'm sure the what he describes in the book is uh, i was gonna say it's exaggerated but i don't know that for sure <laughs> yeah you don't i mean how honest is the narrator well <laughs> let, <laughs> let's get into the next section because there's there's more there's more okay, to uh to analyze here i think so each each uh, section is labeled by the date on which it takes place, and this section occurred on September eleventh, nineteen ninety nine. Nice, happy birthday! <laughs> Thank it's you. It's your ninth birthday, right? <laughs> it was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and this is uh nine eleven negative two. <laughs> Never BC. forget nine eleven BC two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, quick summary. So. Uh, towards the end of the last section, Roger find out finds out that Charlotte Fanshawe is having a live reading of her new book at Mountain Lights. Mm-hmm. So this section is about Roger attending that reading. This occurs outside, and about 300 people show up. It's not bad. Yeah, pretty good turnout. <laughs> and I'm imagining this is, uh, in Joseph's mind, this is like the Ped Mall in Iowa City, probably. Oh, absolutely, because <laughs> you did mention that it's... Uh, Prairie Lights Books was where he did the reading of of mm-hmm. that we listened to the last episode of this book we're reviewing right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, and speaking of, uh, I'm glad you liked the audio clips from last episode because I have one for later today oh, good, too. Good, good, good. Yeah. So he's at uh the in the Ped Mall of Upstate New York now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Wilden Kill Ped Mall. Mm-hmm. Uh, after she reads a few excerpts, Charlotte refers to Roger's review of her book. Uh, so she has read it and is commenting on it publicly. That's the one where he kind of trashed her book as mm-hmm. like, you know, just trying to tear down a man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as she is mentioning the review, Roger thinks that he identifies the guy that wrote the rebuttal, Parzival, based on the reaction that this man has to Charlotte's mention of the review. Is this the guy that told him to make like Hemingway? <laughs> Was yes, that the, the line? Guy, yeah, the guy who told him to kill himself. Yeah, in yeah. the local paper. Yeah. Uh, so there's a Q and A period, and Roger asks Charlotte in front of the crowd what exactly was exploitative about the relationship she describes in the novel, and he reveals that his own parents had a similar relationship. Ooh. Yeah. So uh, he says that his dad was a professor and his mom was one of his students. This is like the third instance of this occurring in the book. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the second uh, him being horny for students. He's he's going to fuck one of his students eventually. I'm I'm positive. Like, I put <laughs> yeah. money on it happening. Ugh. Yeah, I'm 
I wouldn't be surprised. I have like some direct quotes later that we can, uh, you know, dig into. Um, so he asks, "What's exploitative about it?" Uh, everyone in the crowd around him thinks he's gross and weird for asking that. That's, that's um, he's used to that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, that radio DJ kid, Forenzi Q Tanquiz. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's he's at the reading, and he asks Charlotte if Landor, that old um, poet guy. Yeah, uh, he asks her if he is circumcised, <laughs> <laughs> and if she quote let him use all three inputs. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of a way to fucking frame that is that? <laughs> All three inputs. Yeah. Uh the town cop scares the kid off before Charlotte is embarrassed any further. Um Parzival then also asks a question. Uh in doing so he expresses his desire to punch the reviewer in the nose, so referring to Roger. Uh, and he asks Charlotte what she hopes men could learn from her book. Oh, God. <laughs> Basically, everybody in this crowd loves Charlotte, except for Roger. And she says some generally feminist female empowerment stuff. And, you know, the crowd eats it up, except for Roger. After the Q&A period's over, Charlotte uh, goes over to a table and she's set up to do a book signing. Roger approaches Parzival, or the guy that he thinks is Parzival at least, and um, introduces himself, and immediately he gets really mad and threatens to kill him. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the cops come over and tell him to leave. And that's how the section ends. <laughs> so another public freakout from our protagonist. Yes, but he's actually the rational one here when you think about it. Of course. <laughs> yes. You'll see. All of you will see. So here are some, uh, like, the actual quotes to detail the summary I just gave you. Uh, here's a brief description of the owner of Mountain Lights Bookstore. Okay. He calls him rather scrawny, a 30-ish man with bushy hair, wearing jeans and a Che Guevara t-shirt. Oh, dude, his work... Uh, <laughs> he... <laughs> He, I wonder if this guy would be, Joseph would be capable of writing, like, an actual, like, fiction novel. Like, because everything that I've heard from this book so far is literally just him, like, it's not, it's not even being, you know, used as some kind of, like, clever metaphor for anything. It's just literally, these are the things that bother me, these are the things that I hate, I'm just changing the names. Yeah, it's like a parody of his real life. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just want to note that the bushy hair, that's the closest we've come to a pube reference so far. Oh, man. Do you remember what we set the over-under at? Because I think I set it kind of high, like seven and a half, I think. Uh, I believe it was five and a half. Five and a half, okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing pretty good so far. We've we got plenty of book left. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's, <laughs> here's Joseph's description of the town cop who is attending this reading. Blonde and big-jawed, with an immaculately pressed uniform, white wall haircut, and straightforward manner. Hmm. Does that count as being horny or no? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mark it as horny, but it's clear that Um, Joseph's a big fan of the big blonde cop. Oh, yeah. Just like a a glaring, uh, glaringly positive image of of law enforcement, for sure. What a surprise. (laughs) Yeah, that's weird. Okay, uh, this is his description of Charlotte when she, like, takes the podium. 
The author wore a bright yellow dress, which suited her complexion no better than the red one had, but showed off her legs equally well. Horny for sure. Ding, ding. Yep. Yep. That's a horny count 20 so far. (laughs) Uh, And this is uh, an excerpt from when Charlotte mentions Roger's review. This is Charlotte speaking. The reviewer asked whether I got even with anyone by writing this book, and how good did it make me feel? My answer to that is that, first of all, I'd like to know if a man would ever be asked a question like that. Applause from the crowd. A man a few yards away from from, uh, Baloo shouted, Right on! Baloo glanced over. The man looked about 50 years old. He was tallish and quite fat. Close to 300 pounds, Baloo estimated, as best he could tell since the man wore baggy jeans and a loose sweatshirt. With wavy, graying dark hair and a full but close-clipped beard that merged with the body hair that grew above the neckline of his shirt. <laughs> Alright, horny 21. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't count that as horny because... No, definitely this, not. This is a display of how anybody who like disagrees with his worldview is like a hideous monster. <laughs> <laughs> right, they're giving it. They're given a very unlike savory sort of appearance. Um, I I thought it was interesting that they mentioned like who did who did you tr- who were you trying to get even with when you wrote this? Is that what the line was? Yeah. I wonder if he's asked himself that with this because this is literally. <laughs> I, I don't think I've heard anything. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of like you know much to do about nothing in between a lot of these quotes, but this is amazing. Like I I couldn't have asked for anything better so far from this guy that we've been slowly learning about and like slowly picking his brain apart and, and looking what's inside and this this is fantastic like give me more please it's very spiteful like he clearly yes. oh yeah. god yes <laughs> he has a real problem with people who act like this and then this is roger's question to charlotte during the q a First of all, from your account, I fail to see how this fictitious poet actually exploited or abused anyone, other than being a little crotchety. Could you please elaborate on why this fictitious situation needed to be aired as a warning to other young women, as opposed to airing it in order to pay back a man who scorned you? Okay, this is uh, (laughs) kind of a little libertarian whiff there for sure. Yeah, Charlotte's response. The abuse and the exploitation lay in the imbalance of power between an older, wealthy, and famous literary figure and an 18-year-old girl. If you ask me, this came pretty close to pedophilia. And then Roger... (laughs) (laughs) Actually! (laughs) He doesn't go there. He doesn't say (laughs) ephemophilia or anything. What a coward. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He says, It so happens that my own parents met when he was a 55-year-old professor at the University of Wisconsin, and she was a 19-year-old undergraduate. They got married on her graduation, and I was born a few years later. <laughs> 55 and 19. Do you think there's a reason that it was he wanted this to occur twice in his book? Like this, like this, I feel like this is going to be the means at which these two kind of end up hitting it off at some point, because this is very obviously, to me, going to be one of his more important love interests during the book. Uh, so I'm wondering why he specifically chose this instance to... Uh, maybe be the uh, the catalyst for the stars aligning for these two young lovebirds. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's what I was thinking as well. But the rest of the section that we're covering today, he doesn't go in any sort of romantic direction with Charlotte. So imagine it, that. <laughs> it, it might it might be coming later, but we'll see. Um, okay. And I do, I do want to mention, I watched the rest of the video of Joe reading at Prairie Lights, and he does mention that his father was um, a 
professor at the University of Iowa for like 40 years. So he oh, is, wow. I would guess, describing his actual parents here. Oh, okay. Uh, and then... Uh, <laughs> I feel like an asshole. Fuck. <laughs> no, no. no I, <laughs> uh, and then continuing in the, the Q&A thing here, Charlotte replied in the tone of someone being deliberately respectful to a retarded person. <laughs> <laughs> There's that word again. <laughs> yep, yep. This is after uh, after he describes his parents' situation. She responds to him as if he was mentally disabled. <laughs> yeah, he likes to use the R word. Yeah, who doesn't? It's fun. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> or don't. Um, a, a description of another person in the crowd. An intense-looking, frizzy-haired woman in a seersucker shift. I don't actually, what? I don't actually know what that means, but uh, I've heard it before. Again, this is him describing someone he disagrees with and making them seem ugly and weird-looking. It's like a, it just looks like a like a sleeveless dress that is has like a high collar on it, is what it looks like. It ends just above the knee. It's a nice-looking dress. It's 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 elegant and it's also you know pretty classy. Something you could wear to like a, something formal, you know. Yeah, that sounds fine. But she yeah. is but she is also intense looking and frizzy haired. <laughs> yes, that's correct. <laughs> okay, and then I've this is like the best part of the section when Roger yeah. confronts Parzival, who again he described as about three hundred pounds and very hairy. So it's the same guy that it's the same guy that was like clapping with her and like agreeing with her, right? Earlier that he described? Yes, yes. This is the okay. guy who oh, told okay. him to kill I, himself in the paper and then, Okay. Like, I didn't know those two were the same. He's pretty sure it's the same guy. Uh, it is okay. confirmed later that it's the same guy, but at this point, he's okay. pretty confident. Okay. Baloo felt himself tingling. Then he felt almost outside of himself. An amazing sensation, one that he'd felt from time to time before in his life, in moments of greatest anger. The urge to kill a man with his bare hands. Even in the moment, he remarked on it, the horrible thrill of it, and its near irresistibility. Just a few seconds before, he'd been only mildly irritated, and had only approached Parzival as a way of ensuring his dignity while having a little fun. But the name-calling and Parzival's loaded, sanctimonious question almost blinded him with rage. And uh, just for reference, the sanctimonious question he's referring to here, which made him want to kill this man, was, You might have some talent. Why don't you use it to try and do something constructive? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> this will show him i'm going to write this fucking book all right <laughs> i wonder uh, who parts of all actually is like who who is this man that scorned you joseph yeah this has got to be like uh, a press citizen comment section guy or something oh for sure yeah uh, and then as their argument continues oh lighten up psycho said Parzival. i'm talking about a little sparring i don't want to hurt you so he challenged him to, like, a boxing match. Ooh, and okay. then Roger replies, Well, I wouldn't mind hurting you, fat boy. In fact, I hope you'll attack me with deadly force so I can legally kill you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of those concealed carry psychos just, like, yeah. waiting for the opportunity to shoot somebody, just praying that the moment that they step out their door, someone's finally going to test them. Yeah, he wants to set up a stand-your-ground situation. That sounds like it. <laughs> and that's how the section ends like he gets in a oh that's <laughs> yeah he gets in an argument with this fat guy and the cop tells him to leave when he's clearly freaking the fuck out Jesus, and it's just sort of left at that <laughs> because the next section takes place that evening and roger goes to a bridge party at the quaggas and these are the people that are renting he's renting the house from is that right 
Right. They're like real estate people and they own the newspaper. Okay. Uh, he brings a, I forgot to look up how to pronounce this, uh, Kulibiak. Uh, I don't Kulibiak. know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, it says uh, salmon pie. I didn't look up salmon the pronunciation. Kulibiak. But... It looks pretty good. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> yeah. It's a Russian it dish. Good. Yeah. So I have no idea how to say it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, they're having a party at their house. He's invited. A bunch of other people are there. He meets another recent transplant to Wild and Kill named Dora Fox, and he's immediately infatuated. Oh, and quick warning. This is the longest section in here, so this one's going to take a little bit. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so he's infatuated with this woman, Dora Fox. A- as luck would have it, she loves Kulibiak. <laughs> and imagine she- that. Yeah, she owns a bakery in the nearby town of Verstanken. Verstanken. <laughs> Verstanken. Yeah. This this Russian fish pie that I just happened to bring to this bridge game is her favorite. <laughs> yeah. Uh Donald Quagga draws Roger away from Dora to meet the other guests. Frank Leahy, a lawyer, and his wife Lois, and runs away screaming. A Native American car salesman. He's serving drinks at the party, and I'm not joking. His name is Runs Away Screaming. Okay, so this is the, this is. Uh, are we up to the two descriptions so far of Native Americans that are? Uh, <laughs> what, was the, what was the first one? The, the student in his class. What was what was the name? I can't remember. Oh yes, that's right. Uh, let me pull up these notes because that's actually yeah. a good thing to reference. He described him as like having like one like shaved section of like black hair atop his head. It was something right away when I heard it. I was like, Jesus Christ, dude. Yes, here it is. Uh, so this is from back on page 45. Uh, little Chuck to Squantum Jr. was yeah, obviously an Indian. <laughs> yeah. The roach style <laughs> crest of black hair atop his otherwise shaved That's head. That's what it was. Okay. Yes. So there's been. Like, two actual Native American characters and then the mascot. Of course. So, runs runs away screaming. Is, is he serving drinks at the party or who? Uh... Mm-hmm. He's, well, he's okay. actually attending the party, but when, uh, when Roger sees him, he's serving drinks. He's like the bartender. Uh, runs explains the story behind his name, which is that he <laughs> was sure like... sure it won't be racist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think I have I have the quote later, but I'll just I'll just say for now that he explains the story behind his name, and he exclusively refers to his own people as Injuns. Oh, that's like, common. Yeah, totally sure. <laughs> like Huck <laughs> they do Finn that. and Tom Sawyer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have this is the recording or the audio clip from the reading that I wanted to share today. Uh, <laughs> I think it'll be better if I just play it without saying much to introduce it. Okay. Um, this is a bit of a longer one. It's like a minute and a half. But if you need me to stop at any point, just let me know. Okay, I, I'll just, I'll, I'll just, I'll just listen to it. I'll, I'll save my feedback for <laughs> afterwards. Okay, cool. Now, a little bit later in the book, you've got a friend of Roger Baloo's who happens to be an Indian, and he explains to Baloo that while he agrees with that kid, he sees Willie Wilden as a kind of an archetype. That kid was right. You're a betting man. Never bet on a team with a cute mascot. Not in football anyway. I like that little bastard, though. Willie Wilden. You know, I'm a Cheyenne. And we tell stories about a guy named Wehio. 
Now, white men have stories about Superman types, your Paul Bunyan, your Picos Bill, but Wehio was the kind of anti-Superman, little puny guy. They say that Wehio's wife could stretch her arm out at the shoulder and he could stand under it. And poor Wehio, he wasn't just little, he was also not that bright, but he was also trying to outsmart folks. And maybe once in a blue moon he'd do it too, but mostly he'd just end up getting outsmarted himself like Homer Simpson, or that Honeymooners guy, Jackie Gleason, or, or uh, Rodney Dangerous. You know, I don't get no respect. Rodney Dangerous? That's Wehio. Yeah. There's all kinds of stories about Wehio. And I figure Willie Wilden, he's probably just another Wehio. Little man who can't do nothing but talk big. Ah. <laughs> so that was um, in the previous section uh, when Roger first saw the mascot that DJ kid was talking about how it looks like just a wimpy guy and like it's a shitty mascot. And uh, when he brought that up to his new friend runs away screaming, uh, he agreed. And I really like in that clip how Joseph starts out doing like the native American guy impression and sort of gradually like steps off from that. (laughs) Yeah. I heard that right away. And I was just waiting for like this nice racist roller coaster from our friend here, (laughs) like doing, I think the voice that you, everyone is hearing in their head right now, when you imagine a white guy trying to do, uh, you know, a a native American voice. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, this, this WeHo, I'm wondering if this comes up again, uh, later on how how is that pronounced am i saying that right or how is it spelled rather i, I don't know if i wrote this down sorry and i i don't have the book in front of me we oh, okay. so yeah like, yeah we ho um i'm wondering if that's something that he's actually heard that he's like like half bakedly recalling or if he made this up uh I th- <laughs> for some I think literary it's reason yeah i didn't look it up i think it's real he also mentions in the video of his reading that he like as a kid, he was like fascinated with Native American culture. He calls it Indians, but <laughs> I feel sure. a little uncomfortable saying that. Oh, that's as you should. <laughs> yeah, so he starts out doing <laughs> like the John Redcorn voice, but backs off. Yeah, the John, yes, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> he didn't commit. <laughs> <laughs> what a coward! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so at this bridge party, everybody sits down to play cards, and uh, luckily. Dora and Roger are partnered at the beginning. And I can't really follow like the description of how they're playing the game. I've never played bridge, so I don't really know I what's going either. on. But I guess when they're partnered, they won a round. And then after that, the partners get switched around. And Dora ends up partnered with runs, which makes Roger jealous. And these are people he's so just this met. This woman I just met, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. Another yeah. normal thing. Another normal brainwave surging through his head. (laughs) Right. A woman he just met, a man he just met, and they knew each other long before they knew him, it seems. (laughs) Yeah. The odds are that that's that's definitely the case. Uh, This, he's really, the pattern that he's already established for himself and, like, how he looks at women and, like, how they make him feel just by existing is becoming much more clear. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Donald Quagga gives Roger some intel now. He's found out more uh, like real information about Parzival. He confirms that the big hairy guy, that was him. And his real name is Martin Wandervogel. Maybe Wandervogel. 
Dude, I love these names. Uh, like when you, so how Second Life used to work is you would choose your first name, and then you chose from like a long list of like all these like very uncommon, like clearly like almost AI generated last names. And basically, mm-hmm. every last name I've heard so far in this book sounds like an old school like Second Life account last name. <laughs> like, yeah. um, I mean. Andrew Florence, he's the, the the DJ kid. Like that's a pretty normal name. Like Dora Fox, like that's pretty normal. But like, man, some of these names I've heard are just like, like Hogan Fuss. Was that a last <laughs> name that I heard earlier? Yeah, I think that was the student that he was most attracted to. Yeah, uh, no, uh, Jack Hogan Fuss. Uh, oh, that was the, the boy. Okay. Yeah, he's the chair of the English department at uh, what was Vander Vander? Where the fuck is it? He teaches. Yeah, Van Devender. <laughs> Van Devender, I'm yeah. sorry, pardon me. <laughs> uh, and he's the he's the son of that uh, old lady that he that he likes that. Uh, oh yes, was described right. as having yeah. like spicy perfume or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, great last names, love it so far. Yes, so Parzival, his real name is Martin Wandervogel, and he's a moderately <laughs> successful documentary <laughs> film director. Later on in the party, uh, Roger's talking to Effie Who, and runs. <laughs> F-E-U Yeah, F-E who She's a Scottish woman who is married to a Chinese man Jesus, dude Yeah, so he's making like this weird sort of It's like a Mad Lib, dude Like some of this shit is just I don't think that he probably knows anybody like that So he's just like Like spinning a wheel Like, okay, their name is And their ethnicity is this is just like the most multicultural bridge party he could come up with. Damn, it really is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a woman with a Scottish first name and Chinese last name. Now, how- yeah, no black people, though. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> there aren't. <laughs> uh, so in this conversation with the Scottish woman and runs, uh, we were treated to some little tidbits about the Scottish Highlanders and... Runs considers Effie to be like an honorary tribe person because he finds the Highlanders' culture to be very similar to his own. I don't know how realistic that is, but I don't know really anything about either culture. To speak um, I mean, I, I, I don't want really want to give Joseph Dobrian like too much credit on being an authority about you know Native American mm-hmm. culture. <laughs> yeah. uh, he he clearly has expressed an interest in it, and you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. that he's you know he was fascinated with it when he was a kid. So, I mean, I, I guess maybe something like this that doesn't seem like <laughs> like too much of a caricature of a uh, Native American, like maybe. Yeah, yeah. This seems maybe not too plausible. far off base. Yeah, yeah, plausible. Um, and we learned that Van Devender was founded as a school for Indians. The word Wildenkill, the name of the town, is Dutch for Indians Creek. So there's a there's a history there with the, the native okay. people. Um, after the card games are done, the guests take turns take turns playing piano and singing songs. And it's just this ideal little cultural exchange. <laughs> sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds great so far. <laughs> Uh, Roger offers to walk Dora home, and she accepts. Nice, dude. But she invites Runs to come as well. (laughs) (laughs) So the thing is, Runs declines to join them, but Roger is still frustrated just that she had even invited him. What's fucking wrong with him, dude? (laughs) On the walk home, Dora tells Roger that she used to be a plastic surgeon. 
Oh yeah, that's a pretty common thing. If you you know spend <laughs> you know ten to twelve years in school to learn how to become you know a surgeon, to give that up for a life as a baker in upstate New York. Right. I, yeah. I don't know. We'll we'll probably learn more about her decision to leave the field, but. As it is, we just know that she used to be a plastic surgeon, and now she owns a bakery. When they arrive at Dora's house, Roger invites her to go to the football game with him. Uh, I think I mentioned before that he bought two tickets just so he would have yeah. a reason to like reach out to people. So he invites Dora to come with him. Uh, she accepts. She's So that's going to happen at some point. Yeah. Sounds good. Keep it light, you know? Yep. And then they part so that she can walk her dog. Her dog is a collie named Pegine. Okay. <laughs> is this a name you've heard before? Because I don't Pegine? think I've seen it. <laughs> Pegine. How yes. P e g e e n. Uh, no. I. Well, actually, I I just googled it. Actually, <laughs> uh, Pegine Vale Guggenheim or Guggenheim. I'm probably butchering that last name, but she was no Guggenheim. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah, she was, it says she was a Swiss-born American painter, and she combined the styles of surrealism and naive art. Oh, okay. So it's a Swiss name yeah, for her colleague. Yeah, it's Swiss, yeah. She's the daughter of a writer and uh, the granddaughter of a guy that died on the Titanic. <laughs> okay. So it's, cool. a, it's a name. It's, you know, someone that he probably, I would assume, would be familiar with. But Yeah. All right, so I have some excerpts here. Um, fair warning, this is a very horny chapter. <laughs> Perfect. I'm ready. <laughs> I told you. I told you that he was infatuated with Dora Fox, and now yeah. we're going to get into the details. Okay, let's hear it. So, when Roger arrived at the party, this was how he described the party guests in the kitchen when he was dropping off his uh, Kulubiak, yeah. whatever I said. Yeah. <laughs> his, his salmon pie. The Russian pie. fish pie, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All three women wore high heels. Nice. They smelled angelic. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Increasing the horny count to 21. I just want to note, mentioning high heels and the smell of the women. Oh, that's back. horny for sure, dude. You get getting into some interesting territory. We need like a like a fight bell, like the ding, like every time there's like a, a horny mention, like some sort of yeah, like audio I'll, cue. <laughs> yeah, I'll insert that later, maybe like a like a hotel desk yeah. ding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. I like that. All right, and this is his first description of Dora Fox from page sixty-eight. She might have been Baloo's own age, or even a bit older, but exceptionally well-preserved. Just a shade over five feet tall and slender. A girl's figure, almost. With prominent cheekbones and a ski-jump nose. A <laughs> ski-jump nose? <laughs> yeah. It's been said that while good health and regular features make a woman pretty, the flaws make her beautiful. And in this case, it was her nose. Too long, upturned, and chiseled at the end that captured Baloo. Her mouth, rather wide, full-lipped, a little pouty when she wasn't smiling, was made to be kissed. <laughs> By me only. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they better not have ever been kissed yeah. before. <laughs> I want a tattoo debt-free virgin, or tattoo-less debt-free virgin. <laughs> oh, man. That's Chris Chan, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For the show. She had almond-shaped eyes, set rather close together, and long lashes. Her eyes were light purple, which Baloo had heard of before but never seen. She wore her abundant tawny hair in an immaculate French twist. This girl has purple eyes. She does have purple eyes. The first thing I thought of was anime. Weird. I think... <laughs> yeah. I, I'm wondering, like, 
the the detail with which he goes into describing her facial features. I mean, it from what I heard earlier, it sounds like he spent more time describing what she looks like rather than what he himself looks like. If I like, I, I got some notes about how you described him, but regardless, I think that's accurate. Yeah, yeah, this is the most I've heard him describe somebody. Like this has to be, except for the purple eyes part. I'm guessing, but. <laughs> this sounds like it's maybe a description of somebody from his actual life or like someone he obsesses over because like I think to describe someone like that you definitely have looked at them you know from like more than like a glance you know like yeah that's totally possible it could be a real woman that he's been longing for at some point in his life uh, I have a feeling that most <laughs> of the women that he's attracted to in this book are going to be women that he longed for <laughs> different parts of his life <laughs> yeah uh, and this is from just the very next page. Oh, right. Horny counts up to 22 from that last okay. one, of course. <laughs> this is from the very next page. So he's just met her, of course. An ache, Baloo felt then. An actual ache in the pit of his stomach. The physical manifestation of the sudden yearning he had to take her in his arms, to stroke her hair, kiss her eyes and her lips, hold her tight, protect her against anything that might possibly threaten her perfect happiness. His arms actually started toward her, just maybe a quarter of an inch, not enough for anyone to notice before he got control of himself. This is a stark difference between the I would or I wouldn't. Like, this is uh, oh, yeah. going a step it's, further. It's, it's much more highbrow, kind of, but uh, also, like... <laughs> yeah, it's not It's not quite as, like, oafish, like, <laughs> I guess maybe be the word to describe it. Uh, so, this was page 69, so great okay. job. And horny count, 23. Jesus. This is the first description of uh, runs away screaming. Immediately God, to... Be- <laughs> <laughs> Just remember how he described the Native American he wore, student. <laughs> he wore a large feather. <laughs> uh, he stood outside of a cigar store. <laughs> <laughs> His solemn eyes beckoning towards me, immaculately carved in <laughs> wood. He was often standing on the side of a highway with a single <laughs> tear rolling down his cheek. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, let's let's hear it. Let's hear this very normal description of a American <laughs> yes. person that I'm sure we're about to listen to. Immediately to Baloo's right stood the most enormous man Baloo had ever seen, and possibly the ugliest. <laughs> <laughs> an Indian, if not seven feet tall, then close to it, with an immense barrel chest, a broad, flat face decorated with several big, knot-like moles, tiny black eyes, thick, twisted lips, and a sharp nose. His graying hair was braided into two long cues down his back. He wore a dark green jumpsuit, like an auto mechanic. Oh, yeah, he's describing a uh, uh, Thunderhawk from Street Fighter, it sounds like. <laughs> yes. I was thinking just like Michael Myers. <laughs> I don't know, like the the jumpsuit made me think like this is a big horror movie character. Yeah, the jumpsuit kind of threw that off. I I was trying to remember his name honestly, but he was like a one of the taller characters in the game and like that he was like a big huge, you know, muscle man. So immediately I was imagining <laughs> a street fight character at this party <laughs> talking to him. When I when I was taking the notes on this, I just described this quote as Joseph having a great time describing a man of another race. <laughs> <laughs> As we often do. Um, and this is uh, Runs talking to Roger. 
I'm not going to do the voice. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) My father was Cheyenne. I grew up in southern Kansas mostly. My mother's people came from right around here. The Wigwags. Small (laughs) tribe. (laughs) You want to be politically correct, you can call them the Uwekwakwi. Um, Runs, he's talking about political correctness. He's just like Roger. (laughs) Uh, Another villain of free speech. All right, and uh, this is... This is Frank Leahy talking about Effie Hu's Chinese husband. Okay, so Frank Leahy, he's a lawyer. Effie Hu, again, is the Scottish woman who is married to a Chinese man. Uh, And her husband is a lawyer who works at the same firm as Frank. Okay. And in discussing him, Frank says, Effie's husband's a partner in my firm. He's the chink in our armor, you might say. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So... One, nobody at the party comments on this. <laughs> so Frank is just referring to this guy as the chink in our armor, just like, you know, a sly way of like sneaking in a racial slur. And it doesn't even seem like he's using the idiom correctly. Uh, because yeah. a chink in your armor is like a weakness. Yeah, right? it it is. Yeah, it's considered to be like the the weak spot and otherwise, you know, stout piece of anything. <laughs> it seemed like the way he was talking about the guy, like he was complimenting him, like talking about how he's a good lawyer, a good contribution to our law firm. And I mean, he was talking like her, this guy's wife is right there. <laughs> if he was saying, if he was insulting the guy, I would think that would be an issue, but... Like, nobody seemed to react to what he said at all. Do you think Joseph thought he was, like, being funny when he wrote this? Like, like chuckling to himself as he, like, maybe he doesn't know what that means. Or maybe this guy doesn't know what it means that he's writing in the voice of, which I highly doubt because this book seems to lack that awareness thus far outside yeah. of the narrator. But Yeah, it, it was, it's hard to say. Like, I don't really know how to interpret that scene. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Other than that, like that's pretty fucking bad to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that should. You shouldn't write that. <laughs> All right. So as they're playing bridge, Baloo stood behind her as she played to observe, in parentheses, and to smell her. Uh, she had a <laughs> she had a sharp but pleasant personal musk that complemented her perfume. Not surprised that Joe's a sniffer. <laughs> Horny count twenty four. Mm, ding. This is later on. I believe this was after the card games are finished. This is Francis joking about Roger, preying on his students. Roger, your classes have barely started. You couldn't have fallen in love with one of your students yet, could you? Little did he know. (laughs) (laughs) Just a friendly back and forth. (laughs) Sure, yeah, very normal. I'm putting horny count at 25 just for the subject even being broached. It's a precursor to horny. Mm Mm-hmm. This is, I just thought, was kind of fun. Uh, Runs grunted. I never look at the advertiser except to make sure my ad's in the right place. He said, I like comic books and motor trend. (laughs) Okay. Oh, wow. He's really developing this character uh, very well. (laughs) I feel like I can relate to him uh, better now. Yes. Runs is not a fan of the local paper, I guess. He's more interested in automotive magazines and comic books. (laughs) (laughs) A man of taste. So at some point at this party, uh, did I mention that Roger hand rolls his cigarettes? You did not mention that, but that doesn't surprise me at all. 
Mm-hmm. So at at this party, he has his own hand rolled cigarettes and he's lighting up. And some of the other party goers are interested, so he's sharing them. And it says here, only Effie and Dora abstained. And Baloo's heart sank yet again as he wondered whether Dora was just a non-smoker or a rabid anti. <laughs> oh, he's going to go off on this again, huh? Mm-hmm. He doesn't quite get there, but, you know, it's a it's a callback to what happened at the bar. I don't understand, like, uh, isn't one of, like, sort of the cornerstones of either left or right-wing libertarianism is, like, personal freedom and not, like, infringing on, like, the rights and, like, freedoms of others? I'd say so. <laughs> I could be wrong, but it's it seems like, I know that the personal freedom and personal liberty thing, uh, like, him having the attitude that he has towards smoking in public is very interesting to me, given that that's what he sort of identifies himself as, because, you know, you're sort of infringing on other people's uh, rights by smoking around them when they don't want to be smoked around, I would think, and it's, you know, also mm-hmm. very common courtesy, but uh, he's also shown himself to know basically nothing about common courtesy at all with people. <laughs> yeah, his own personal right to smoke is more important than Yes, that's right. Anything. Live free or die. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, uh, the book takes place in the late 90s, but was written in the early 2010s. So it's like... Oh, this is I think, well after smoking was banned indoors. Yeah, I think Joseph is mourning the loss of smoking in bars. <laughs> Ten years later. I want, yeah. The last time I remember being able to have a smoke in a restaurant, I was I was like 15, I want to say. It was the last time that uh, I had a cigarette in a restaurant. And like it was like that summer, I want to say, like 2005, 2006, maybe when they all went smoke-free. Yeah, it was around then. Cause, yeah, that would have been pretty late. Like, They were already going away by the time I moved yeah. to Cedar Rapids in like <laughs> 2001. Yeah, yeah, no, because I remember having a cigarette in a Chili's in 2005. <laughs> you were smoking underage? <laughs> oh, <shh>. <laughs> <laughs> Please cut that out. <laughs> All right, so this comes from Roger is talking to Dora, and he, like, f- he perceives an opening to invite her to go to that football game with him but he lets the moment pass he kind of blows his shot mm-hmm. and at this point a black demon appeared hovering in the air oh. above Baloo's head oh the demons again yeah the, every time the demons come up i think i'm probably gonna note it because this is like you have to yeah very interesting mm-hmm. you dick it hissed at Baloo. you stupid spineless dick hmm. i'm interested I to f- i'm interested to follow the, the pattern of of when these appear. Um, so he mentioned them earlier in the book. Was there like an instance that made them appear or was he just like describing them when he's like building this character? Yeah. They appeared in the last section when he had been stood up for that date. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's has to do with women then imagine that. Yeah. There's a trigger there for those. It uh, seems. <laughs> of course. Baloo could smell her again and he admired <laughs> the wispy red hairs on the back of her neck and wanted to draw her to him and kiss her right on that spot. <laughs> Horny count, 26. Yes, God, yes. This is weird. Like, <laughs> the just zeroing in on the hairs on the back of her neck. Yeah. So, like, I've read books before where the author has, like, described the woman sort of like this before, but there's something about listening to him specifically doing this, knowing who he is, it makes me extremely uncomfortable, and, like, I would struggle to sit and, like, make myself read this like it's it's very easy to sit and listen to it but like having to actually like scan this text and like imagine joseph dobrian like 
carefully examining this woman at a bridge game is making me very uneasy. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, it's been kind of slow going. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So here's a quote from when everybody's taking turns playing music. Uh, this is while Dora is playing the piano. She played the Gollywog's cakewalk and Baloo was too busy watching her hands and the back of her neck, which was beginning to obsess him to tell whether she played it well. <laughs> Yeah, he's. I'm sure he's very uh, used to looking at the back of a woman's neck as they walk away from him in disgust <laughs> in real life. Maybe that explains his fixation. Uh, we're at horny count 27 now okay. for that one. Uh, and this is the moment when Dora invites Runs on the walk home. Ha, whispered the black demon in Baloo's ear. Not that she's interested in that guy, but she wants an escort to protect her from you. You do have that effect on girls, Raj, don't you? These... Hmm. Go on. Is there is there more from the demon, or like is uh, it seems like it's it's just like a quick like you know like pang of like his own insecurities and his own like self loathing maybe. That's all for that one. Okay. Yeah, that's the quip there. Uh, but they they are sort of hanging around for the whole walk because on the next page we're on page ninety now. Behind them, Baloo fancied he could hear the flapping of wings, three or four of the black demons now following, watching, but saying nothing. So they're still there, but... Yeah, just waiting for something to happen. He can tell something's going to happen now that's going to bother him. (laughs) Right, ready to pounce at any moment. That's right. I'm sort of envisioning this as like a Roger Rabbit situation, where like the live action part is Roger walking Dora home, and we've got these animated black demons floating around. <laughs> <him>. <laughs> yeah. And they're kind of like, uh, you've seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit, right? It's It's been years, but I'm familiar with like okay. the, the style of the movie, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's there's like these weasels who are like the henchmen of the main bad guy who ends up being mm-hmm. Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, <laughs> that I do remember. Yeah. And there's a part of it near the end where the weasels are being killed and you see their angels like floating out of them. I'm imagining the black demon sort of like those guys. <laughs> um, okay, so when uh, when Dora is telling him that she used to be a plastic surgeon, Roger asks, what decided you to get out of surgery? And I only noted this because it seems grammatically fucked up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. What decided you to get out yeah. of surgery? He got stuck somewhere between what made you decide and like, you know. And I will say like the book up to this point is like pretty well written from what I've seen. So this is the first time I've a sentence has like made me do a double take. <laughs> well, for that reason. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I'm sure you've had several, but <laughs> he noticed the tiniest dimples at each corner of her mouth. Noticed her throat set off by the big blue bow on her midi blouse, her little hands up at chest level, palms out nearly touching him as though to position him. He wanted to kiss them all. Lips, throat, hands. Again, he felt his arms almost willing themselves to enfold her, but he forced them to keep still. Oof, horny count 28. Yeah, easily. I mean, it's kind of... It's it's not like graphic, like vulgar horniness, but it still makes me extremely uncomfortable, like I said, yeah, because yeah. it's him, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And that one wasn't graphic, but uh, here's the next one. There came to his mind the image of Dora naked, straddling the gigantic Indian, ecstatically impaling herself, riding up and down (laughs) on his mammoth dot dot dot. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like the it's like the fucking scene from Office Space. <laughs> yes. Oh <laughs> Where she man. Fucking <laughs> yes, it is exactly like that. <laughs> and uh, horny count is twenty nine. Honestly, this one deserves even more than that, but. Uh, yeah, for sure. I was pretty generous in the first section, so I'm making up for it with that one. Dora didn't even give the faintest hint of presenting her cheek, so Baloo dared not do any more than shake hands. He could hear the black demons laughing. Well, you just fucking met her, dude. Like, you're <laughs> just going for a walk, and <laughs> you think that's a little, uh, you know... I have a feeling that he's he, he has to have tried that several times in the past. Like, I... I'm wondering if these, like, demons are his own failures being written into this book uh, from having been in similar situations. Like, each one of these, each time one of these demons appeared, like, something similar has happened to him before. And, Mm -hmm. like, it's, like, sneaking into, like, this fantasy life that he's creating for himself in this book Mm -hmm. as uh, Roger Ballou. Yeah, these are his own sort of inner voices that talk shit all the time. It's pretty common among, like, people who are depressed. <laughs> oh, yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> we don't always, you know, uh, have these sort of visual manifestations of them as demons, but I think... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this, I think, uh, is my favorite chapter ending. In this book, for sure, but it's it's up there with pretty much every book I've ever read, I think. Oh, from every book? Okay. Yeah, you're, you're going to like this. Five and a half hours of suppressing certain normal functions had created pressures. Baloo looked about him, right, left, before, and behind. No house light was on in the immediate vicinity. He was quite alone. He let rip a thunderacious fart. (laughs) It's that fish pie, dude. (laughs) Yeah, that's... That's how that section ends. That's how it ends is with him just farting. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) He goes from describing her fucking someone to, like, ripping ass as soon as everybody was gone. (laughs) This guy's a genius. Yeah, that's... (laughs) And remember, that was on (laughs) 9-11. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) This owns, dude. (laughs) I'm jealous that you get to read this. <laughs> I mean, you, there's there's a Kindle copy available on Amazon, but... I really might read it also. <laughs> I would urge you not to give him money, but it is only a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do have Weehio spelled out here. It's W-I-H-I-O. Uh, it's a thing, but he spelled it incorrectly. Uh, Viho, like V, actually, it's it's pronounced several different ways. It looks like different sp- different spellings. I apologize. Um, he is a uh, Cheyenne trickster. He's described as here the spider trickster of the Cheyenne tribe. Though he's associated with spiders, and his name means spider, he has the form of uh, of a man in every Cheyenne tale we know of. In some stories, he plays the role of a clever and elephant trickster slash transformer hero, but in most stories. He is merely a silly and foolish character who behaves mm-hmm. as inappropriately as possible. Yeah, he's got he's describing it. Sounds right, maybe based off of this. Yeah. Like Rodney Dangerous. <laughs> yeah, like Rodney Dangerous <laughs> from uh <laughs> from back to school. <laughs> um okay, yeah, so that that clip I played of Joseph speaking as runs, that's actually from this section. So I kind of jumped the gun with that, 
but it's just because I was really excited to play a clip of him, like, <laughs> right on the line of racist voices. <laughs> yeah, like, almost, like, showing his ass immediately. <laughs> okay, so this last section, it's a much shorter than the previous. Donald Quagga, the newspaper guy, he asks Roger to write a rebuttal to Charlotte's latest advertiser column. And in return, she has been invited to do the same for the next piece that Roger writes. And this doesn't actually happen in this section, but it's just like something to be aware of for the future. They're going to have kind of a back and forth in the newspaper. Noted. Roger goes to a meet the faculty garden party at Van Devender, and he meets the new college president. Her name is Faye Bannister. Uh, Jack Hoganfuss is also at the party and his wife, Audrey. (laughs) And Violet Menzies... She's the English department's longest-serving professor. Roger spots uh, Martin, that's Parzival, at the party and learns that he is a visiting professor in film for the year. Instead of introducing himself to anyone else at the party, Roger leaves, walks up the highway to Runs' car lot. Runs and his two mechanics are smoking weed while working on cars. (laughs) Tight. Yeah, which it shocks Roger because... You know, having an open flame around cars made him uncomfortable. However, when offered, he does take a hit of a joint. So Roger's kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, While discussing what kind of car Roger wants, there's a brief aside from Runs about uh, WeHo, which we heard a clip of earlier. Uh, Again, this little dumb character reminds Runs of, or the school mascot, Willie Wilden, reminds Runs of the... WeHo character. After they talk about it for a little bit, Roger decides to take a 65 Cadillac Fleetwood for a test drive, and that's where the chapter ends. Oh, after taking a hoot from the joint. Hmm. That's right, yeah. Things might go south pretty quickly. (laughs) Maybe setting this up for disaster here. Oh, man. I don't want anything bad to happen to him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I was thinking earlier, uh, when when, uh, he's first describing Martin... Uh, Wandervogel, was that the last name? <laughs> yes, Wandervogel, that's right. He, the way he describes him, and then mentioning that he's a uh, documentarian, I could not help but think of Michael Moore. Oh my god, you're right. I didn't make the connection, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, which is, I can guarantee you, is someone that Joseph Dobrian fucking hates and has hated oh, yeah. for at least 20 years. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> That's the f- like. I, as soon as I heard that word, I'm like, I think I know who this is. Yeah, for sure. All right, so here's a, a few little excerpts from this section. This is Donald speaking to Roger. I doubt you'll be hurting for female admirers around here. Francis and Effie and Lois are planning a free-for-all to see which of them gets to leave her husband for you. <laughs> <laughs> He's crying as he writes that. <laughs> Yeah, this is complete bullshit, and (laughs) horny count is increased to 30. (laughs) Ding. This is his description of Faye Bannister, the college president. A large, jovial woman in her 50s with buzz-cut gray hair. She wore a sweatsuit for the occasion. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They don't have like a very in-depth conversation here, but I remember Faye is talking about how there needs to be like some big changes at the school. So I'm sure she's going to be kind of a progressive caricature as well. And you could have guessed that from the way she's described physically. Yeah, what gave it away? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Jack, who is the guy who got Roger the job, he's the head of the English department. 
when discussing this with um, his wife, Audrey, he says, this is at the party. He says, your mom recommended him to me and I took him because he's dumb enough to take the shit salary we pay. (laughs) Oh. And then uh, while they're at the car lot, this is Runs talking to Roger. He says, hell yeah, I love to gamble. I'm an engine, right? Oh, for fuck's sake. He just couldn't help himself. (laughs) I guarantee you that's not important at all in the grand scheme of things. He just could not fucking help himself. Like, that one had to (laughs) squeeze it in somewhere. Yeah, I don't think... It doesn't really come up at all again. But maybe maybe later we'll have some real, like, a gambling addiction side plot with runs. It'll be like a real deep and touching moment. (laughs) Yes, because this book is definitely going to divulge to talk about anybody else except for fucking himself. (laughs) There's no (laughs) way. Okay, and this last excerpt I have here is just me noticing something that may may be uh, a continuity issue. Um, this is Runs talking about uh, rust-proofing cars, and uh, he and Roger have a bit of a disagreement about like when that became a thing, like when you started being able to rust-proof cars. And Runs says, I'm going to have to Google it and see. Yes, that was... Uh, well, I think Google was around in the late 90s, but not to like the... Like- being a cultural titan like it is now. Right, exactly. So I'm I'm glad you went there immediately too. I checked to make sure Google was founded about a year prior to the events of this book. And mm-hmm. like people definitely weren't saying that yet. <laughs> no, no, no. I remember being in middle school and like the three options that we had for search engines were uh, Google Ask Jeeves and Alta Vista. And we were yeah, recommended Alta Vista, to use yeah. yeah, we were we recommended to use Alta Vista for our searching needs. Uh yep, I'll never I remember forget, that too. <laughs> I, dude, I will never forget uh I can't remember what class it was. It was like this like we had like a like a <laughs> I don't know what he I think he worked for the newspaper or something, but it was like this like multimedia like uh computer class thing. Uh it was like part of the curriculum where we'd find pictures on the internet and we would use them to like make a collage and mm-hmm. like he was teaching us how to like look up pictures on the internet and find stuff and like i went to look up a, like a picture of a hamburger for whatever reason so i just typed in hamburger into alta vista as i was told and like the first picture was uh a man who had made a uh he'd contorted his genitals <laughs> in such a way to make it look like a hamburger oh my <laughs> and God. like turn turned it sideways <laughs> and like i looked at it for a few seconds <laughs> And I'm like, hey, you know, guys, come check this out. And so, like, everyone's Googling, or they're all searching hamburger on Alta Vista and all getting the same thing. That was the first result? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, the, on the ver- it was, like, the first line, like, the very first page. <laughs> Great. V- very impressive. And that was at least a couple years after this book takes place. So, yes. search engines had not really been perfected at this point. No. <laughs> not at all. All right, well, that's that uh, section of Willie Wilden. We got all the all the content out for episode two. Next time, hopefully, I'll be able to keep a, a better pace up, and I'll be able to do this like next week or the week after. But uh, episode three, I'll be covering pages one hundred seven to one hundred sixty, and the dates will range from September fifteenth to September twenty third. Thank you, Chuck, for uh, for joining me for this second edition of the Doe Brain Book Club. Yeah, I'm happy I'm happy I got to join. Uh like I said, I just listened to the first one and it's really funny. Uh 
I think this this book is going to uh, continue to paint the portrait of this man that has become a fixture on our show. And uh, <laughs> thank you to everybody who uh, subscribes to our Patreon every month uh, to get content like this. Um, I mean, we do it for free, but it's more fun to get paid. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for paying for our sound call, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, I think we've got a bright future ahead of us in uh, doing more research on on Joseph Dobrian. I you've watched a few episodes of Hard Fire, right? I watched all of them oh, <laughs> that Jesus. night. We found it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think there's more that we can we can look into once we've finished the book. I mean, I do want to oh, keep yes. like <laughs> studying this man, but I don't necessarily want to read another one of his novels immediately after this. So. Maybe, I, I don't blame you, man. Maybe we can explore something else following this. Yes, there's enough breadcrumbs out there to, to the point where we can make an entire loaf at some point, I believe. Yeah, there's a, it's going to be like more of a multimedia experience. <laughs> 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 All right, thanks everybody again for listening. Uh, stay subscribed if you want more of this. See ya. See ya. Thank you.